Everybody. So I've got a couple of main verses today that I'm going to be focusing on. So there'll be two verses, but there'll be eight scriptures total. Um, and so the topic I'll be sharing on today is Jesus, the living cornerstone. And all the scriptures are going to be tied in with that. So the main, the first main scripture I'll be using is Matthew 16, 30 through to 20. Uh, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, "Who do you say? Oh, sorry, who do people say that the, that the Son of Man is?" And they said, "Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets." And he said to them, "But who do you say that I am?" And Simon Peter answered, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barajona. I don't know why I put an Italian accent on it, but I just do for some reason. Um, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you, whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples that they should not tell anyone that he was the Christ. So there's actually quite a bit in this uh, section of scripture where people's observation, they have tried to line up with the Old Testament scripture and go, so they were doing this, Jesus is doing this, and so he must be a reincarnation of one of the people from the Old Testament that did signs and wonders. And then when he asked the disciples as a whole, Simon Peter was the one that answered. And when he said that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, I love how Jesus says, I bless you, Simon, because it was not flesh and blood that revealed this to you. Now who knows that flesh was the first thing to lie to us when they committed sin in the, the garden. What was the first thing? When they ate the fruit, they felt ashamed of their nakedness. And so it was actually the flesh that made us the way we are, when we gave into it. Um, you are the son of the living God. And he said, it was my father. So it was the spirit that actually revealed truth. It is never the flesh that can re reveal the truth to you. It is only by the spirit of God. Um, and when he says, and he goes, all right, so you just made a, a statement of truth. I say to you that your name is Simon. And I love that there's a little comma there. There's actually a pause because he's talking to all the disciples at the time. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, who or what do you think he's talking to or about when he made that statement there? Was he saying that Simon was the rock that the church was be built on? Or was it actually the statement that Simon made that the church would be built on? The statement. Exactly right. So we're going to look at a couple of other scriptures that tie in to prove that very point. So upon this rock... I will build my church upon this statement that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. The church or the congregation will be built. There is no other way about it. And because it is built on the truth that I am the Son of God, Hades cannot prevail. If the church was built on a man, the church would have crumbled many, 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 many years ago. Um, and said, I will give you, and so he's still talking to all the disciples here. I will give you the keys. I should actually look at the time. All right, awesome. So I don't go over. Um, I will give you the keys of heaven, 
and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And what you loose on earth shall have been loose in heaven. So whatever we release here on earth, it's already been done. It's not that we're releasing it on earth and then it gets released in heaven. It's actually God's already done it all and we're acknowledging what he's done and we are saying, please bring it down here to where we are. Um, uh, so, and the keys to the kingdom, what was it? Uh, Sam actually did this, would have been middle of the year? So the keys to the kingdom is understanding the authority of God's domain here on earth. Understanding his authority of power. And when we acknowledge that, that's why there's so many parables that said the kingdom is near. And then Jesus explained what the kingdom is like. And then afterwards it became the kingdom is here. Now that I've revealed to you what the authority of God looks like, you can now operate in it because it's here with you. Which I always think is an absolutely amazing thing. Uh, so one of the verses that we'll be looking at also is, or sorry, to tie in with this, is Ephesians 2, 18 to 22. Uh, For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So at this time, he's actually speaking to the Romans. And so that'll make sense why he's talking the way he is. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. And I've underlined this, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. And that is the very crucial part right there. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So we are all part of this one building that is being built up. Every generation there's another brick layer to the wall until when Jesus finally returns, that the the roof will be placed and it will be made whole. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So when Paul was talking to the Ephesians, he was, uh, because actually in Ephesia, there was three different areas that all lived in the same city. So there was three languages, three cultures, three different people that lived together and none of them were Jews. And so he's saying to them, you are no longer aliens. Just because you're Gentiles, you are no longer outside of the family of God because Jesus paved the way by shedding his blood for you so that you can be made part of this family. Having been built, so he's actually talking to them, saying you are being built on the foundation that the apostles and the prophets actually laid before you. So they've set up the guidelines and now you're being stacked on top of that um, with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So what is a cornerstone? It's actually amazing when I... It's actually quite difficult to find out because there's not a lot of information that people have put readily available online to, to see it. But actually the cornerstone... Nowadays we have, uh, they call it the cornerstone, but it's a memorial stone where you write the date on it when the building was erected and say, this person laid this stone on such a date. That's what we call the cornerstone now. A lot of the time they'll be hollowed out with a, like a bit of a time capsule in there for 20, 30, 50, 100 years down the track for people to look at and see what the church was happening at the time. Um, but the cornerstone in Bible times was actually the pinnacle stone that held the entire building together. If that cornerstone was not placed where it was supposed to be and it was not perfect, 
the building would be wonky, wopsy, it would not actually have a firm foundation to stand upon. And I love it. So there's actually three stones that hold an entire building together. Jesus is all three of them. You have the cornerstone, you have the keystone, and you have the capstone. So the keystone sets up the whole building to be erected. The keystone is actually the one that you see in the centre of an archway. It balances everything. Without it, everything will fall apart because there is no balance and tie in together. And the capstone is actually what... So we would look at it as roof iron. iron actually protects the walls from the weather outside. So he's actually shielding us when we are part of the building. He protects us as well. And it's amazing how he's literally all three of them. Um, all right, so we'll go into... So 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 13. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, like you can see the different stages in it. For the day will show, for, sorry, for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So that scripture there is actually relevant to every person that has had someone speak into their life and bring them in line with according to God. So every time someone has taught them part of the doctrine of our salvation, depending on how well or how poorly it is, when trials come, will be evident whether that person falls away or not. It's always through the tough times that we will see how firmly based we are in Christ Jesus that we know that we know that we know who he is. And because of that, we're able to stand firm on this foundation that is him. Um, and then Acts 4, 10 to 12. Let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, whom you sacrificed, whom, Je whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man, so he's actually talking so this was Peter speaking, and he was actually talking about himself. Uh, so by this name, this man right here stands here before you in good health. He's the stone which was rejected by you. So at the time, he was talking to the, uh, the Pharisees, to the Jews around him, and said, was rejected by you, the builders. Their purpose, the Pharisees as a whole, was actually to teach the word, teach the law, so that the people can understand, so that they could start to walk in righteousness before God's eyes. That was their purpose. But all throughout history, and so the Pharisees were actually, they came down from the priests, so from Aaron and Moses. That's their descendant line. And so they were always at the front of the church, receiving the offering and bringing it to God. But it got to the point that they started getting cocky and actually going, you have to come to me to be able to be to God. And so they started getting up on a pedestal, which is actually not the way it's supposed to be. And so by you, the builders rejected this stone, but it became the chief cornerstone. The, so the absolute that ties everything together. Um, and there is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And when I read these scriptures and when I was actually looking into it, there was, it was continuous that I was just getting chills as I was receiving revelation from God of how exciting this truly is.
Um, so yeah, so these builders rejected it. So what would happen for a cornerstone to be built, it was out in the quarry, so the architect said, all right, it needs to be this high, this wide, this deep, because it's going to be the primary stone, so everything has to be supported on this one stone. So it has to be just like this. And so the builders come along and they would drag it to the site and start erecting it. So as they're dragging stones, they look at it and go, no, nah, that's not right. That doesn't seem to us, we're not going to use that stone. And so we're actually going to reject it. But it was this one purposely that actually brought about the whole building tied together because he was outside of what they perceived as what should be correct. And all throughout the New Testament, when Jesus was talking to people, the Pharisees, whoever it was, he was always changing their perception of the law because they'd become so narrow-minded, you're going, it has to be like this. And Jesus said, oh, you're missing so much of it. And because of that, you've brought yourself out of the righteousness of God. Um, so the next key verse that I'll be looking at is also uh, John 14, 5 to 15. So as Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have also known my Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have come to still not know me, Philip? He who has seen him has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own invitation, but the Father abiding in me does his work. Before me, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, uh, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the key part there that I've highlighted in my Bible is, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. So that statement, I'll go through the whole verse as a whole and break it down bit by bit. But when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father because the Father is in me. When he breaks this down, I actually went and looked up the name of Jesus and what it actually means. And it actually tied it in perfectly. So the English version is Jesus, came from the Latin word Iesves, which was his name, which came from the Greek, which, which was Iesus. And they actually did a transliteration because they didn't actually have a word for Yeshua. So Yeshua is actually his name. Does anyone know what the direct English translation for Yeshua is? That's not my family. What is it just into? I know you know. Yes. Yep. His name is Joshua as a direct English translation. Yeah, I was blown away when I found that out too. Um, so, and there's, depending on where you look and who's uh, done an interpretation of his name, 
There is multiple different meanings of what his actual name is, but the two that I've been able to find that seem to be the most consistent is, so Yahweh is salvation or Jehovah is salvation. Is salvation. So Jesus' name was stating his father is salvation. And all of a sudden, this whole verse ties in beautifully that no one can come to the Father except through me. You have to call out my name and you have to believe my name. Because if you do not believe my name, you cannot accept the Father. Because me as a living being is stating that the Father is salvation, that no one can come to him. Um, and so I've got, uh, so Second Samuel and Psalm, uh, what is it? Second Samuel twenty-two forty-seven. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be God, the rock of my salvation. Psalm 18.2 The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That just really blows me away when you can start to bring all this together, that my rock is salvation. It's not my rock is on Sorry, it's not my salvation is on top of the rock. The rock itself is salvation. It is the key focal point that ties me in, that no matter where I go, that is my centre point that I can focus everything on. Um, it is my fortress that I can be within. It is my deliverer. So salvation has delivered me into the hands of God. Without salvation, we would be nothing. Um, salvation is what I take refuge in every single day that I can rejoice because I know I am with my Father. It is the shield that protects me from that outside of uh, who God is. So all sin and everything, I can be behind the shield that is salvation, knowing that I am with him at all times. And it is the horn that is blasted out loud as declaration of war. So this horn of salvation that I am behind, it is blasting out, letting everyone know that salvation is here and salvation is one which it just absolutely gives me shivers. Um, and then we've got Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Is it he who believes in Simon? Or is it he who believes in Jesus? declaring that his father is salvation and disturbed this word disturbed is actually kush in hebrew means make haste be excited or acted quickly so he who believes in this solid rock that is jesus christ will not be wavered will not be affected emotionally when things are happening around them we do not allow our emotions to dictate how we perceive god so if we focus on god everything else revolves around him and who he is and it's just amazing the more we look into it the more that we can see that God is exactly who he says he is so the cornerstone had to be it didn't have to be perfectly square it could have been a rectangle but it had to be a very very large stone put in a certain corner that was weight bearing so if they were on the side of a hill like ever so slightly it would be on the bottom corner purely to be able to hold all the weight that would be leaning towards it all right and they had to be perfectly square on the edges so it had to be either perfectly straight up or it'd be slight slope inwards on all four corners 
And so they would use that as a measurement and go, all right, it's going to be... So if they were building a temple or a house or whatever it would be, they would go by cubits, which would be the elbow to the fingertip, and that would be their measurement. So from this stone, it would be X amount of cubits this way, X amount of cubits this way, and on the angle, it would be X amount of cubits that way. And so with this stone, as they're laying it on top of each other and going out sideways, it had to be absolutely spot on, otherwise there'd be a slight deviation. So you think, you look at the stone, and if it's looking, so that's the side, if it's slightly leaning away from it, as you start building up, if you run it flush every single time, by the time you build a building, and a lot of the time back then it would have been like between 14 and 20 feet high, the ceilings, so there's a lot of stone, it's a lot of weight, you get to the top, give it 10 years all of a sudden, and if the ground moves slightly, all of a sudden that wall's no longer there because the force has actually pulled it away. And so they would use a thing called a, a plummet, I think it's what it's called, yep. So we would consider it a square with a string line hanging down off of it, and they would use a mark, so they'd probably go a cubit, off of the wall face, and they'd put, so they used to um, use like gold powder and stuff to actually mark on the ground, this is their point of reference for the whole wall, and they would go like that however long down, and so they'd put this device up there, and there'd be a string line plummeting here, and the pl string line would have to be in line with that mark, so, so if they used their full arm, the square would be wider than the full arm and the string line would be on the tip of where that is. So when they sit it up there, if it does not line up perfectly with that, the wall is not straight. And they would have to rearrange it bit by bit. And so um, as they would build this, once a cornerstone was laid in Mesopotamia, so in Jesus' region all through there, it was cultural for them to actually either give an offering which would be either wheat, wine, whatever, or they would actually give a sacrifice and pour blood on top of the cornerstone. Who knows Jesus could not become the cornerstone until his blood was shed? Because otherwise, what he said was irrelevant because he didn't do what God declared that he had to do. And so the cornerstone was laid when his blood... What was that? His time is not... His time is not his time at that time, that's correct. And so when it got to the end of his three years, he became that cornerstone because he became who he said he was and what God said that he was to be. And so they'd lay the cornerstone and it was a ritual so that they'd pour the blood. And so every time they talked to the Romans and whoever it was, they understood the significance of what a cornerstone was. That it was this stone that was laid as a, Complete foundation, and for all the so for the um, prophets and the apostles, they had to be within the guidelines of who Jesus was, the guidelines of what Jesus taught, of what the law stated. They had to do everything within that because if they were out by a little bit, the scripture that we saw just before that there was gold, silver, wood, hay, straw, whatever it was that they used to put lays on the wall, that they would actually fall apart. And so for Jesus is saying that I am the way, I am the way to salvation, so you have to accept me to receive salvation. I am the truth that God is salvation, so you have to accept this truth. I am the life that brings salvation. It's so amazing how this all just comes together. And so for all of a sudden, for Jesus to say that upon this rock I will build my church, which is a holy temple.
We have to accept that he is the way to salvation, that he leads us in every aspect of his life. I only do what I see the Father doing. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and vice versa. And so, yeah, it's just it's giving me chills just talking about it now. Um, yeah, so, so our doctrine is all based on Yeshua as the Son of God. So what he said and what he did, all was done according to the Scripture, which, remember, at the time was only the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament because they were living it out at the time. So everything was within according to that. And so there's actually a couple of uh, pastors that I've been listening to that actually focus on a, a Jewish culture understanding the Bible. And so when you've got Deuteronomy in that, when it talks about all the laws in place and how Jesus would always dumbfound the Pharisees by using the law, even though they were so stringent on it, they knew exactly what they knew, and yet he would always blow their minds. I'll just share a quick one. My favourite was, um, so the prostitute that was caught in adultery with someone that, like the next bloke, sort of thing. So they're bringing her in front of Jesus. So in Deuteronomy, in the scriptures, it says, if someone is caught in adultery, both the man and the woman must be brought forward. They must be brought to the elders at the gate of the city or the township. Jesus wasn't that at all. So they've only brought the, the female because they're trying to catch Jesus up. So that they've already broken a law. They've brought him to Jesus, who isn't the hierarchy of the city. So he's not the authority that they're supposed to come to to deal with it. So they've already broken that law. Um, and what was the third one? They did that. I think that was it. And so when he said, he who has not sinned shall cast the first stone, it wasn't talking about if you've ever sinned. He goes, if you haven't actually sinned in this situation, because I know you've all broken the law, you may cast the first stone. Why do you think the, the elder Pharisees left first? Because they knew they remembered the law better than the young. And so the young only followed suit because they, it took them a while to click and go, oh, yeah, we're all in the wrong here. We actually don't have a right to stand before God and make this judgment trying to trip somebody up. And then it, in Deuteronomy, it also says you have to have more than one accuser. Because if it's one versus one, it's he says, she says. No one gets anywhere. It has to be two or more. And so all of a sudden, Jesus said, where are your accusers? If there is no one making an accusation, the sin was never committed. And so he said, I don't accuse you also because I wasn't there as an observer. So go and sin no more. Pretty incredible. And he, he just did it because he lived out the scripture. And for it to say um, in Isaiah, a tested stone, when he went to the desert for 40 days, he, was, he didn't eat and he didn't drink for 40 whole days and yet Satan was continuously trying to entice him and it says the angels ministered to him. They were encouraging him. They were lifting him up. They were calling scripture over his life so that he could stand firm. And at the end of the 40 days, he would have been hungry out of his mind. He would have been like, I need something now. And Satan was trying to entice him and go, no, I only need to stand on my father's words for me to live. Um, and so he was tested. And then the Pharisees were continuously testing him, trying to slip him up by using the scripture. Um, and there's a costly cornerstone. He gave his life to be that cornerstone. And life is, we consider it so, such a precious thing. But he was willing to give it up because that was his father's will so that we could come into relationship with him through this salvation 
that is found in Jesus Christ. Absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. So let us, as we go forward, continue to rely on the Scripture to reveal God's heart to us, to be able to focus on that and see whether it does line up with the parameters of who Jesus is to be this foundational cornerstone so that as we move forward that we continue to build our lives on top of this already firm foundation that has been placed there and we're only going on what we've been taught and what we're going to be able to teach others. And So as we continue to move forward, let's stay within the parameters of who Jesus was, declaring that his Father is salvation and that's the only way that we can live. So let's just pray. Dear Lord, Holy Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for your son that he paved the way so that we can only come to you through him because of who he is, by name and by nature. Lord, we just want to honour you, for you are truly worthy of all honour. And we love you so much for the mercy and the grace that you've shown us, Lord. In Yeshua's mighty name we praise and thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. No worries.